I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances. And one man in this time plays many parts, his acts being seven ages. At first, the infant, mewling and puking in the nurse's arms. Then the whining schoolboy with a satchel and shining morning face, creeping like snail unwillingly to school. And then the lover, Shining like furnace was a woeful ballad made to his mistress' eyebrow. Then a soldier full of strange oaths and burdened like the pards, jealous in honor, sudden and quick in quarrel, seeking the bubble reputation even in the cannon's mouth. And then the justice, in fair round belly was a good captain lion, with eyes severe and beard of formal cut full of wise saws and modern instances, and so he plays his part. The sixth age shifts into the lean and slippered pantaloon, with spectacles on nose and pouch on side, his useful hose well saved a world too wide for his shrunk shank, and his big manly voice turning again towards childish treble, pipes and whistles in his sound. Last scene of all that ends this strange eventful history is second childishness in mere oblivion. Sans teeth, sans eyes, sans taste, and sans everything. And thus ends one of the most famous quotes of Shakespeare's play, As You Like It. Hello and welcome. As you like it. That's it. As you like it. Like. Did we get swindled, PJ? Because did you just read out the best part of the play already? <laughs> the rest garbage. <laughs> so that is the part I like best. And it isn't necessarily a, a play that I fully liked. I, I think I just gave you the best part, guys. So there's anything to take away with. That's it, yeah. <laughs> and that has been our episode on As You Like It. <laughs> so we're finished now, guys. So... <laughs> Well, yeah, that's that's the best part. All the world's a you know a, a stage, and the people are merely players. That's the quote that people will know. Right, yeah. um, there is another. I think they use the quote "too much of a good thing." That phrase comes from this play. Um, but other than that, mm, yeah. Well, it is. Um, it does have a fa- a few famous quotes actually. So the play itself is not maybe the most popular Shakespeare play, but we can say it's got some quotes in it that people don't even realize. Um, that you know, oh, it's from this play. They might have thought it's from a bigger play. Anyway, as you like it, that's what we're talking about today. Uh, so, what what do you think about as you like it, Dean? Did did you did you like it? Yes, it it was done as I like it. I do <laughs> like it. Um, these 
I don't know these plays that are more lighthearted than the than the histories. They're just you know it's always like an exiled duke and some you know characters oh. you know faffing about with their little family quarrels and things like that. I don't. I like these ones, you know. And this one's not as funny as as say the comedy of errors was, for example. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really have an awful lot of strong humor, but it's a lighthearted one, and and that's kind of how I like my Shakespeare. Yeah, no, it's it's um it's got a lot of. Uh, it's got a lot of interesting themes in it as well going on. It isn't as funny, I agree, as, say, uh, Comedy of Errors. That's hilarious. Or even Twelfth Night. But, yeah, it's a very light story, basically. Um, it's very easygoing. It's, again, one of those reads that if you if you need a break from Henry the Seventh's part 1078, then you might just... <laughs> slip into this <laughs> one into yeah this one. these are nice little airy ones you can just slip into and you know then they're done you know it's... exactly yeah so as you like it so what's it about so well it's a middle it's a middle play basically it's right in the middle of his kind of his mm. um so it's it was done around the time that he was doing these kind of plays just after much ado about nothing in and around the same time as 12th night so that's the kind of vibe that we're we're getting right, yes yep. um and as I say, as as always, there's an exiled duke. Uh, his brother Frederick has usurped him, and the first, you know, we do we do look at the the duke's court, and then we also look at this chap Oliver. Oliver is um, a son of Sir Roland Dubois, uh-huh. and he has two brothers, Jacques, who we don't meet till the very end, <laughs> and Orlando. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Orlando is essentially like the peasant brother like you know he should have had a better lifestyle but oliver just treats him like dirt and makes him work the farm for him and you know threatens to kill him and burn down his house and all kinds of things like it's really harsh and he even he even admits it to himself at one point um when i was listening he says oh i hate my younger brother but i do not know why so it's just he just hates it he actually hates uh his younger brother orlando I have a question, PJ. On, on a play like this, on a one-off play, not based on real history, with so few characters, huh. why do we have two Olivers and two Jacques? Why was that necessary? I, I, I don't know. I mean, like, but doesn't Shakespeare do the same thing with a few other plays? Like in Midsummer Night's Dream, there is um, a guy called um, a guy called Robin. You know, we know Robin Puck, Goodfellow, being that mischievous little hobgoblin. But there's also another guy called uh, Robin. And I just feel like, right, well, I, I never saw a Robin in the other Shakespeare plays. Maybe there's one, I don't know. But like, why do you need two Robins? And I see that quite a lot, actually. <laughs> and you've got, yeah. Yes. So I don't know exactly what the idea and the, is. The strangest thing is, this brother, Jacques, he appears, I think, only in the last 50 lines of the play. He's, he could have been left out. He's completely irrelevant. He, he, I don't he know is why we... completely irrelevant, yeah. I mean, like, to be honest now, like, if I... If I may say so, there is a lot of kind of irrelevant stuff happening in this play. We've got to admit it. I mean, it's a it's it's there a good is. story, but it does feel like it could be even shorter. So that's why I have to say about it. But anyway, but... there's a lot of bit where there's just, you know, sections of nothing or there's a lot of songs in this where they're just singing songs for like 20 or 30 lines. <laughs> that could easily, be cut, you know, 40, 50 lines. It's a lot of not a lot of nothing and a lot of little things that. I mean, does the plot go anywhere? Does it all fit together nicely? I, I'm not really sure, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, so I mean, you know? basically, uh, well, it begins well, doesn't it? Because it begins basically, Oliver, sorry, excuse me, Orlando has to escape because he doesn't, he, you know, he fights the um, he fights the wrestler. Frederick has a the wrestler, wrestler Charles, child, yeah. and he has to escape because Frederick doesn't like this kind of uh, treatment, which is a bit kind of, all right, fair enough. I know Frederick doesn't like him being a Dubois. A member because that was 
Yes, he congratulates him after the victory in the re- he beat the wrestling champion um, at you know SummerSlam or something. I don't know. And then <laughs> you know then he found out that he was a Dubois, and you know for for that reason, um, the 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 fake Duke Frederick, the usurping Duke, decided that no, he doesn't actually like him, and he needs to kind of get himself gone. And let's add, guys, just so you know, the um, the Duke Frederick usurped uh, Duke Senior, and Duke Senior has got a daughter called Rosalind, and Rosalind was allowed to stay uh, because her cousin Celia, Duke Frederick's daughter, basically um, cannot be without this woman. But basically, from the beginning on, it's kind of like just all of a sudden, Duke Frederick does not like Rosalind because she's too popular, she's getting too popular. And he prefers Celia to get popular. So he tells Rosalind to get away from, yeah, to get into the forest, you know, go away. So she goes to the forest of Arden, dressed as a man, thinking that perhaps she would, you know, she'd be better off dressed as a man. Taking and Celia with Ganymede, her. which is, uh, which is yeah. a character from the Greek, a, a kind of Greek hero who was a... I believe a kind of servant on Olympus or some, something along those lines, but um, right, okay. of Ganymede and Celia becomes Eliana Il- or something because she's an alien. She's been kicked out of her own her own home, but she hasn't been kicked out. She voluntarily right. exiles herself with Rosalind. All right, then. Oh, that's an interesting kind of like Eliana as an alienated thread. Okay, didn't mm-hmm. think of that. Yeah, she she kind of she loves her cousin so much that she decides to exile herself, and they take the court fool uh, with with them. There's always a court fool or a jester touchstone. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, Orlando has to leave too because Oliver is uh, about to kill him, actually, right? So it's it's, it's a bit of a coincidence, right? It's a bit of a coincidence that they all have to leave at the same time, these people. And it's very clear that Rosalind fell in love with Orlando after having seen him wrestling. Uh, But but up to that point, I think it's it's okay. Like, I'm really enjoying that part. I just think at the end, it kind of goes uh, a bit uh, far-fetched. Yeah, I mean, I don't understand one of the key plot devices here. So Rosalind leaves. Why does she decide to become a man? For what reason? Yes, well, I think the, the, <laughs> the idea is, though, that they're, that they're better protected, right? But they've got um, a man with them. So if, if it was, you know, will we need a male escort or something, they've got Touchstone with them. So that doesn't so work. I, well, she definitely has to hide her identity. I get that because she doesn't want to be killed by Duke. Frederick. She doesn't want to be killed. But the thing is, the idea of going to the Forest of Arden is once they get there, they will encounter her real father, the real Duke. And then even when she meets him, she's still under this fake identity. And I, I don't understand why. Am I missing so, yeah, something? We'll get... So, guys, so they go to the Forest of Arden. And basically, um, Forest of Arden is actually also uh, the name of a forest where Shakespeare... Uh, grew up, uh, grew up, and grew, grew up close to, and um, so yeah, it's called Force of Art, and it's set uh, in France, the whole place, by the way, the whole play, and yeah, the but the Force of Art is actually a real forest uh, close to Stratford upon Avon, where mm-hmm. um, Shakespeare grew up. But yeah, so they go to the forest there, and basically the whole play resolves around um, Orlando being in love with Rosalind. But Rosalind is dressed as a man, basically. And she I get the feeling that she remains dressed as a man because she's kind of, I suppose, yeah, but even I'm struggling to to come I'm I'm struggling coming <laughs> up with an excuse for Shakespeare. I'm just... <laughs> no reason. <laughs> well, I suppose to uh, uh to test to test his love, I suppose I get the feeling. Also to um keep keep anonymous. 
we get yeah, the, you're we, right. we, we get the funny part where she's pretending to be a man, but then she's telling Orlando, I will coach you to win love for Rosalind. So pretend I'm Rosalind, but really I'm Ganymede, but really I am Rosalind. So then he goes yes. to court and woo this man who is really the woman pretend, but he doesn't know that. And it, you know, I mean, so there is some comedy in it, you know, but I, I just I just understand why she goes through all this farce, you know, and he's going around writing poems and singing songs about <laughs> her Rosalind and how amazing and beautiful she is. And, and she's quite sharp with him about that. You know, she doesn't seem to think that this really is very romantic. Um, she's almost and, embarrassed about, by it, you know. But now, hold on a second. This is interesting because uh, the theme of cross-dressing, um, to be honest, like was Twelve Nights, which I think uh, is one of my... Uh, one of the superior uh, Shakespearean comedies. Now, Twelfth Night has a love cross-dressing with several characters going on. And it's written a bit later, about two or three years later. And I feel that to understand Twelfth Night, you have to maybe read as you like it, because basically he's Shakespeare starting with this cross-dressing theme. And you have to remember, guys, that back in Shakespeare's days, women uh, were not allowed to act. So... If you've seen Upstart Crow, it's basically just ba- every every two minutes it's mentioned as a kind of a as a kind of a joke. And you've been watching it now. I'm so thrilled. Yeah, you, you got <laughs> you got me to watch it. Yes, and there's a character in it called Kate who wants to act, and it's just basically she's not allowed to act. Uh, but basically, it's true though, guys. So the the funny thing about As You Like It is not just that the woman is cross dressing because that's what you imagine in your head, but it's actually a man dressed as a woman dressed as a man again who's actually a woman. And... <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a man <laughs> as a female character who is masquerading as a man who is then pretending to be the same woman that he already is it, I don't know and, and Shakespeare makes fun of this right at the end of the play so it's not really a giveaway to the story but there's an epilogue at the end where the woman says although if she literally says if I were a woman which makes it deeply confusing for modern readers because you actually thought it kind of makes you again think, oh, well, she maybe not, but she maybe not a woman. Yeah, I, I don't know what's beginning. going on. <laughs> but yeah, all right, okay. And without, um, without, without really spoiling the details of the plot, what do you think about the fact that the play essentially ends with a double deus ex machina? Like, is that just bad writing? Or Yes, uh, I, guys, um, what can we say about the end? You see, unfortunately, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of dilemmas in the play so basically the brothers they don't like each other the dukes they don't like each other and it just all kind of wraps up very suavely at the end just just like that yeah it's there's too much double like deus it. ex machina if there's perhaps a triple ex deus ex machina going on there it's a bit too much guys as uh, I, I have to I, I i would have had liked to have a word with shakespeare and ask him what was going on there um it's a bit too much at the end but it's still very enjoyable um to read and I do enjoy all the themes, but uh, as a as a plot, it's very faulty. I would say, as you like it, but it's very enjoyable in other aspects. But we get Rosalind's is. reveal. We get Hymen, the kind of Greek goddess, uh, yeah, and then of, of course, marriage, yeah. and then of course the um, the irrelevant second Jacques appearing. And it's just why, why are we getting all these? And they just come in with like, here is some great news. Like it's all fine, and we've done this, and we've done it's... this, and. So, well, this is very strange. Like all in the last page of the of the play, like just everything gets wrapped up too night too nicely. You know, there there are at least three day ex machina and, <laughs> it's, and it's going insane. on right at the end. Um, but anyway, but what I'd like to talk about, though, I think it's interesting. Nevertheless, the as I mentioned, that it's 
something that leads to Twelfth Night. Uh, first of all, this gender swapping, and I think uh, Rosalind is one of Shakespeare's uh, stronger female characters. I think there's a lot to say about Rosalind. Um, she's very, in a modern sense, she's very. What's the word? She's quite. She's quite a feminist character, you know, because from the beginning, it's kind of there's a lot uh, of, uh, I suppose, kind of sexual desire that she manifest right from the beginning it's not like she's masquerading it she is the beautiful uh, rose right that's her name well yes but she's also kind of like sexually attracted to um, um orlando and she doesn't hide it so like the the play is not kind of like hiding that too much and she kind of plays along w- with him and there's something very strong about her character i find even though you're also asking why is she dressed as a man but the whole point is she's dressed as a man so it's getting so there's a new aspect of her coming out i would suppose her yang side is coming out and the same thing is happening as 12 nights so i find it interesting um you know cross-dressing in shakespeare uh brings out different aspects of these women characters they become stronger characters as well as more complex hmm. so i think i think it's got some interesting characters just to quickly touch on some of the other characters, then, because I mentioned there's two Olivers. The second one is irrelevant. He's a vicar who turns up in one scene only. Um, <laughs> but we should maybe mention the the other Jacques, because we've mentioned yeah. the irrelevant brother. Um, the other Jacques is um, one of the lords attending the exiled duke. You've got Amiens and Jacques. And, you know, he gets a bit more involved uh, with the story. Um, and then we have two servants to Oliver, Adam and Dennis. But I actually we find out that Dennis is really more interested in helping Orlando than, than Oliver. And he helps him throughout. Well, yeah. I mean, um, basically Adam is an interesting character because he's a faithful uh, servant to, to, to Orlando, even though he's technically Oliver's servant, he's a friend. And I do like this aspect of they're both escaped together to the forest of Arden. And Adam is this kind of, I suppose this kind of paternal figure, but I like, I like this friendship that they have. Sorry, it's yes, Adam, I, I confused them. Yeah, it's Adam rather than Dennis, who's the fifth yeah, rather the than Dennis, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, but he, uh, yeah, I think that's a that's a great kind of character. Shakespeare often has a very faithful male friend who supports uh, the main male protagonist, such as Mercutio, for example, uh, with Romeo. Uh, so you always have like a faithful servant or a faithful friend or even a faithful prince, for example. Uh, so yeah, Adam is quite strong. I think uh, Jacques is an interesting character. Not his brother, not Orlando's brother, but the other Jack, who's a who's a kind of a depressed, a pessimistic lord um, under the exiled Duke Senior's court. Uh, yeah, what what do you think of Jacques? I like Jacques. I think he gives the play, you know, he's he's a nice, um, it's funny because there is a character called Touchstone, but I think that Jacques's a nice touchstone, mm-hmm. a nice grounding in reality kind of character. Mm-hmm. I, li- I like him. Well, yeah, so guys, uh, Jacques, he basically, he, all the good quotes from this play, the one I did at the beginning comes from Jacques. Jacques. So he's basically, he's the ultimate pessimist, melancholic, uh, depressed uh, sort of uh, philosopher. And he's a bit unusual for a Shakespeare find because you don't usually see someone who's just completely uh, so pessimist. But I and think he helps the narrative along at times. You know, I think he does. he's important in the play. 
Yeah, he does. Yeah, I mean, he and so if Jack, I always find that if Jack um, represents the pessimistic side of life, Touchstone, actually the the court fool, he represents the optimistic side of life. So basically, they're kind of interplaying along. So you got these two polar ends of pessimism and optimism, and then the story just revolving around these two poles that are Touchstone and Jacques. Uh, but basically, Jacques, in some sense, is also a fool, just as much as just as much as Touchstone is a philosopher. So the roads keep getting mixed. I find, even though technically Touchstone is the fool, Jacques is the philosopher. But sometimes he get confused. And I love that about Shakespeare, actually, right? He always has a fool in it, and or a gesture that always brings out a lot of philosophical aspects, a lot of themes that just the other people in the character would not even dare to mention. And I love that about Jacques does something similar as well, uh, talking about death, talking about uh, time passing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they, they both uh, complement complement each other well. There's some little side plots, as always. I mean, we've got a shepherdess, Phoebe, and we've got a girl, Audrey. And there's a shepherd, Silvis, who loves Phoebe. And then I think Corin ends up marrying Audrey, but there's another chap, William, who likes her. And again, he's totally irrelevant. He does nothing in the play. I just... It's a lot of little side plots and irrelevant people coming and going, and nothing really happens, or they don't really achieve anything. You know, it is an unusual one. Uh, well, it's a pastoral comedy, and I find similar to Midsummer Night's Dream, it's it's making fun out of uh, Romeo and Juliet, out of the starstruck lovers. It's making it's making fun out of love once again, and Shakespeare does that quite a bit, I find. And um, yeah, so they might seem irrelevant, but just as in Midsummer Night's Dream, where some things seem irrelevant, um, I find that. They're kind of like philosophical discourses. Both of them are set in forests. And what I find interesting is that a lot of Shakespeare plays are set in forests, actually. So, and, but whenever these characters enter a forest, you do get a dreamlike quality. So I find that there's always like two realities. One is the the daylight reality uh, of like courts, of like palace, city, town. But as soon as people start entering a natural sort of environment, landscape, uh, like, for example, The Tempest, like the whole setting of The Tempest is very dreamlike. Midsummer Night's Dream, half of it is dreamlike. Not not the beginning, for example, where they're still in Athens. That's not very dreamlike. And just uh, the same here. As you like, it does become very surreal and absurd, actually, as soon as they enter Forest of Arden. And even the plot um, starts losing it. Mm-hmm. To be honest, they start losing it they even start losing the plot. They become there's, all... there's a nice little dialogue that I really like um, between Orlando and Rosalind. And that dialogue gives us two in- funny kind of quotes. Well, two interesting quotes. The first one is, now tell me how long you would have her after you possessed her. And he says, forever and a day, which is kind of where we get that phrase uh, from. All right, and she forever. says, well, <laughs> say a day without the ever. Because, you know, she's, she's always, she's playing hard to get for a long time here. Um, yeah. But then it, it wraps up it wraps up with her saying this, which I think is hilarious. That woman that cannot make her fault, her husband's occasion, let her never nurse her child herself, for she will breed it like a fool. So she's just <laughs> like any any woman should possess the ability of making all her own faults really her, seem like her husband's fault. <laughs> right, okay, yeah. yeah which I like. 
no, it's 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 it does have some great quotes. So, guys, if you feel like something lighthearted, but just be aware that it's it's quite an it's an illogical play, plot wise. It is. It's got yeah. a lot of great themes. Yeah. But there you go. That's as you like it. As PJ, you like what's it. our next? What's our next play? Our next play is. Do you want to? Do you want to? Do you want to Go for it. Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Julian, right? It's a upstart. Oh, I believe it's a play of about gay lovers, but no. Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. So that's the one we're talking next. Got a lot of things. That's one of the big ones. You know, we're gonna we're gonna tackle one of the big ones up next, guys. Don't forget booksboys.com. You can find links to our other projects, to all the different episodes, different places that you can hear the different episodes, and of course, you can email booksboys at hotmail.com just to let us know how you're enjoying the content. That is us for us. You like it. All right, guys. Take it easy. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.